Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. Where the food and beverage industry was once flush with funding from venture capitalists drawn to fast-growing businesses and from strategics eager to pay high multiples for innovative startups, money is now harder to come by as inflation, supply chain disruptions, and labor challenges hinder companies' abilities to meet expectations and has many players paring back. Add to this the looming threat of a recession and fears that as consumers continue to dip into their savings, that they may become a resistance to additional price hikes and could shift their shopping habits by trading down or even going without making it unlikely that the financial taps will be thrown open again anytime soon. But there are options, as we learn in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast from eCapital Assets-based lending CEO Jennifer Palmer. She explains how macro trends are impacting food and beverage businesses and their financial options, as well as how stakeholders on both sides of the table are rethinking their priorities and strategies in light of the challenges facing industry. As such, she also advises companies to act quickly to secure additional credit and financing, because as the year goes on, this will become more difficult. Since the pandemic began in March 2020, the food and beverage industry has been in a constant state of flux, with new challenges cropping up before old ones have been adequately addressed. And while many stakeholders have been fast on their feet and able to meet their obligations to both consumers and investors, Palmer warns that both may be nearing the end of their rope and rethinking their priorities. The landscape has shifted so quickly that it's hard to even figure out where do we begin. The food industry is being impacted simultaneously by so many issues, including inflation, higher costs to produce and ship goods, labor shortages, supply chain bottlenecks, And at the same time, you have rapidly changing consumer tastes and the ongoing pandemic. Food shortages are a concern over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This puts an incredible amount of stress on a company just to navigate the supply chain side of their business. But it also puts a lot of pressure on a company to navigate their finances. The finance and the investment world is also responding to these issues that are facing so many CPG companies. Financiers and investors are getting nervous as we head toward the recession and we need to tighten the leash. We're analyzing companies' performance more closely than ever and tightening up credit standards. Investors like PE firms, they're putting greater scrutiny on profitability. They're doing less deals than they were doing last year, and valuations are coming in even lower than just the prior few months. So both debt and equity right now are more expensive than just a few months ago, probably even a few weeks ago. And, you know, with that higher cost of capital, it's important for companies who are navigating the supply chain issues to also think about their finances and use capital with even more discretion to navigate these challenges. In recent years, companies have leveraged several strategies to stretch their dollars in the face of inflation, including skew rationalization, price pack architecture, and price increases, most of which consumers have taken in stride. But Palmer warns that consumers' patience and wallets may be wearing a bit thin, and that companies need to brace for more impending spending slowdown. 
the consumer is absolutely at its tipping point, and so companies need to control the burn. They need to stay on top of forecasts and model both upside and downside scenarios and need to develop strategies for dealing with them. You know, in fact, we sat with certain clients in the beginning of the year, and we told them to bring down their volumes for Q2 and Q3 because we did anticipate that consumers would step out of the market for a period of time. And, and when I sat with our clients, I used the example of a company that makes gluten-free pretzels, which you know, can typically be about $5 a bag. A lot of people buy gluten-free pretzels or gluten-free products in general out of choice, not necessarily because they have celiacs. So looking ahead, you know, it was my belief at that time that customers will continue using, you know, buying gluten-free pretzels for a period of time, but then may start sprinkling the traditional pretzels that are closer to three, three fifty a bag here and there. Because in the end, that pretzel is a choice. It's a luxury for them. And it's just an example. It's nothing personal against gluten-free pretzels, but just looking ahead and, and thinking about what the year may look like. This is what we this is what we saw, and this is what we were bringing to our clients. So we encourage our clients to reduce their volume in their budget, uh, as well as the velocity of their inventory turn. Every company has to look at their inventory holdings very, very honestly. They they have to really understand what can they afford and what they they can't. So. We see a lot of companies front-loading inventory because they're unsure about the supply chain cycles. So what they're looking to do is to bring in as much inventory as they possibly can. Now, this is obviously something you can only do if the shelf life supports it. But when you're doing that analysis as to whether or not you can front-load and you're looking at your inventory turn, you have to really calculate the cost of doing so. So don't just think about, well, here's what my missed sales will be if I don't have the inventory. Think about the true cost of bringing it in early. So factor in your interest cost if you're a borrower because you will have to pay for that inventory. I would say inventory is actually cash on your shelves. So be careful. Do that analysis of how much it will cost you to borrow against it if you're bringing it in early. And also think about your storage cost as well. Uh, There are pros and cons of front-loading, and you've got to be realistic when you're looking ahead at volumes, you should probably assume that volumes can be reduced as much as 20%. So take that into account when you're making that decision. You know, we see the surge in demand has really triggered the huge strain in transportation costs. And transportation costs make up 7.7% of the global GDP, which has led to the rising inflation. We have bottleneck situations at the ports, Shanghai, Long Beach, elsewhere. Then, of course, we have the U.S. labor shortages in trucking. So it's really been the perfect superstorm, if you will. And supply chain challenges, they're they're likely to last throughout the end of the year, if not longer. So really, we have to make sure that we're running our company as stable as possible. To effectively project realistic volumes with the threat of a recession on the horizon, Palmer encourages companies to check in with their consumers to see how their resources and priorities might be evolving, and then reframe their proposition accordingly. For companies that do this effectively, Palmer says there's still plenty of capital available, but she adds they need to act fast. There is still capital available, so it's not all doomsday. Uh, If you don't have debt, lock it in now before things get worse. And if you do, now is a really great time to talk to your finance partner about increasing your debt financing to bridge the balance sheet gaps in your business. As competition for funding heats up, Palmer says financers will place a premium on companies that are stable, have experienced management, strong margins, 
builds in redundancies for supply security, and can reliably forecast their needs and performance. The lenders are looking for the safe bets. They're looking for established suppliers. They're looking for reliable clients. They're, they're also looking for experience management. So uh, if you can bring in experience management into your company, I, I think that's a huge win. And obviously the situation we're in right now is unprecedented. So having a management team who's dealt with all of this before, you're not going to find. But if you can find some key individuals who have experienced challenges and overcome them, it's incredibly helpful, not just for our lenders and investors, but it's really helpful to na- navigate through these situations. Beyond that, Palmer says she's looking for management teams with open, honest communication styles who can effectively forecast and have their bases covered not just once, but sometimes two or three times. Open and transparent and proactive communication, that is absolutely the bedrock for us. We want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because if management is only coming with the good news and not the bad news, well, then we're only getting half the story. Even when a company is in a high-growth situation, there's problems. They might be good problems, but they're still problems. But if we only hear the good, then we don't have the full picture and we can't be a true partner and we can't help a company uh, when they need us because we, we don't know the full picture. So really, management being open, proactive, transparent, It's vital to a good relationship. It's vital to developing and growing that relationship and for trust. And management also has to make forecasting a priority, and they have to stay close to that forecast. They have to look at the forecast, um, and not they have to have one forecast. It's okay to re-forecast as things go on, but they they have to always go back to their original forecast. And only if you go back to their original forecast and then you also look back on a year-on-year basis Will you really be able to spot trends in your business, issues, concerns that you might not have seen if you weren't doing that? A lot of times when you're operating, you're just going so quickly, you might be putting out fires that you're not necessarily picking up on, on trends. You're not issue spotting. You have to take the time to look at that original forecast that you went into the year with, and you have to look at your year-on-year performance to see how you're really doing. And if you do that, then, and then you're really keeping a close eye on things, and that's another quality of great management. And you also have to de-risk your business. You know, one of the things that we've always instilled in our clients is not just to work with one or two suppliers. You don't want to be too reliant on any one or two suppliers. You don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. So actually, you know, imagine my surprise when I learned, you know, that our our country's baby food shortage is because there's just four companies that supply 90% of the market. Um, It's bad business. It's very dangerous and it's very bad business. So if you rely on just a couple of key players, you're putting your business in a very risky situation, whereas if you spread your risk, well, that's a sign of you know, um, mitigating risk and, and really taking control of your situation and, and, and spreading, spreading the risk throughout mul- multiple companies. So again, that's a quality of good, good management. The numbers also matter, especially margins, which Palmer says most financial teams know are compressed currently, but which they also want to see moving north going forward. Because margins are so compressed, it's the companies that have been able to hang on to their margins over the last 12 months that those are the companies that uh, you know investors and financiers are betting as the winners. Margin retention indicates that, number one, you have good management who got ahead of the supply chain inflation challenges and worked through them. 
and or its product sustainability. The consumer is willing to pay more for the product because of its value. And strong margin right now indicates that the company will likely make it through the next 6 to 12 challenging months, and we know that not all companies will. There will be companies that survived, and maybe they even thrived through COVID, um, but with no more stimulus money around, the tide will go out, and some of these companies are going to be left naked. And it's the companies who can't retain their margins that will be naked, and they won't be here in 12 months unless they somehow take immediate and effective action very quickly. So what are good margins in an industry that is notorious for running close to the wire? It really depends on your category. Every category has a different margin, but you know, if you're a branded company, we are not looking at margins below 30%. We want to see high 30s, 50s, 60s percent. Um, anything below 30% does not make sense if you're the branded company. Uh, obviously, on the co-man side or the supply chain side of the, the business, the, the margins will be less, and that's fine. Uh, so while every category is different, so we're really looking at margins on a year-on-year basis and comparing them and seeing where the shift was. And we, we saw margins really go down in 21 and even the beginning of 22, and we're seeing margins come back up. Uh, some, some companies were just not as quick or able to pass on mar- uh, price increases last year, so it took them a little bit of time, but we need to see that those margins are starting to come up now, that the last of the price increases went through in January and February, and now March and April margins better be to where they were previously because, again, that indicates good management and that the product has value and the consumer is willing to absorb the price increases. How companies do business is just as important as the results they see, according to Palmer, who says that contrary to expectations, ESG during the pandemic didn't dwindle, but rather gained importance. We all probably thought ESG would be stalled during the pandemic, but we actually saw efforts accelerated during that period of time. And obviously, CPG companies have been rewarded for ESG efforts driven by conscious buyers. ESG efforts definitely signal a value to asset managers and funds, and so more attention has shifted to these efforts. Institutional banks are so committed to the ESG efforts today, and in fact, the numbers, the numbers are astounding. I read that J.P. Morgan committed $2.5 trillion, B of A $1.5, and it's not just the big banks, it's the smaller banks too. So for companies who are in the ESG space, it's a really exciting time because lenders are aggressively seeking out these companies. We've always looked for socially and environmentally responsible companies. It means a lot to us. Uh, So this is nothing new, and it's exciting to see more traditional lenders commit to what we've always believed is so important. You have to give back. I think further refinement around the SEC regulation regulation of ESG disclosures, I think it's critical to continuing on this exciting trajectory we're on. It's it's imperative that we have transparency. We absolutely need to have a foundational set of globally acceptable sustainability performance standards, just like we have for financial performance. So once we have that benchmark and once we have the transparency and we're able to measure efforts, I just think the sky's the limit here and we'll just continue to see this acceleration. Lenders also increasingly are interested in companies with domestic and in-house production and making money available to those that want to move in this direction as a way to hedge against supply chain and transportation challenges that continue to plague the industry. Any crisis, there's 
there's the opportunity for change. And I think it was Winston Churchill who said, never let a good crisis go to waste. So it's been exciting to see some companies who are taking control of their production. They obviously felt vulnerable with having overseas production. So bringing production onshore, domesticating it. But what we're also seeing is that companies are looking to open up their own co-man facility. Now, obviously, this is incredibly costly, and it can also be very risky, but there's a lot of money that's interested in this, so there is a lot of investment opportunity here. Investors are interested in this space. Lenders like myself are interested in this space, so money's available. So companies who are thinking about, hey, maybe I'm just going to really own my production process, there's great opportunity there. And I'm excited. As the landscape continues to shift, Palmer urges companies that need or think they might want additional funding flexibilities in the coming years to act quickly and look beyond banks and equity sources. Look at alternative sources of capital out there, like alternative lenders, to help you grow your business, help shore up you know, any, any concerns that you have in your business. There's a lot of sources of capital that are still out there, so keep an open mind. But find them now, because as the year goes on, it's going to become more difficult to secure financing, to secure capital. So get ahead of it and do it now if you haven't already done so. Again, if you have the capital already, see if you can get access to more, if you can increase your line of credit or get greater flexibility. Now is the time. You don't want to wait much longer. But you can't do that without having the right finance team in place. Depending on the size of your business, you need to have a solid controller or a solid CFO in place. And this role can be outsourced, but you have to ensure that this person or this team is competent and also dedicated to your business. I've always believed that having the right finance team in place is a make or break for any business. But considering where we're heading, I think this is more important than ever. I use the analogy of imagine that we're driving down a dark, icy road into a snowstorm do you want a novice driver or do you want a highly qualified driver driving you into this storm? Now's not the time to take chances. Make sure you have that qualified driver who can help lead you there and get you there safely and get you out quickly and make it an efficient and successful process. eCapital ABL, formerly Gerber Finance, has been a finance partner for the food and bev space for more than 10 years. We know it better than any other lender out there. We know the ins and outs, and we know what it's like to deal with the big players as well as the smaller retailers. And so having that experience behind us is really helpful, again, for going into these, these uncertain times. And having a lender who will be there with you in good times and bad is incredible. And with that, we have reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again in the future, and to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.